Border security, trade, and counter-narcotics are chronic ailments for the region. Can a doctor from Louisiana help make the pain go away? My name is Richard Miles, host of 35 West. This week, pleased to welcome Senator Bill Cassidy from Louisiana to the podcast. Hey, thank you, Richard. Glad to, glad to be with you. Thank you very much for making the time. I know it's a very busy week. Um, but, uh, well, you're from Louisiana. You're a medical doctor originally. But uh, tell me a little bit about your sort of pre-professional life. You know, where, where were you born? Did you grow up in Louisiana? What did, what did your parents do? And, and what drew you to the medical profession? Yeah, so I was born in Highland Park, Illinois, but we moved when I was less than a year old to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And my dad was in sales, and he moved there because a friend said he could make a better living in sales. If you read A.J. Liebling's biography of Earl K. Long, the governor of Louisiana, it opens up by saying the year is 1957 or 58, and people are moving from around the country to either work in the plants or to work for those who worked in the plants. That was my family that A.J. Liebling was describing. My dad eventually got on with New York life, made a living. Uh, My mother was basically a housewife, uh, worked a little bit, but mainly a housewife. Uh, went to public schools all the way through, graduated from LSU, LSU Med School, went to Los Angeles for my medical residency uh, at L.A. County Hospital. 30% of my patients spoke only Spanish. I'd always wanted to learn a foreign language. I'd studied French in Louisiana, but like everybody speaks English if you also speak French. And so I had a reason to learn Spanish. And uh, that interest stayed with me after my wife and I, whom I met out in California, returned to Louisiana. Um, and so then you're in the medical, you're a doctor for a while, and then you decided, what, that was too easy and you wanted to go into politics? What what drew you into, into the political world? So I worked at a public hospital for the uninsured, incredibly rewarding, treating patients who otherwise perhaps would not have had the quality of care I was able to give, taught medical students, residents, uh, did medical research, very rewarding. But I was around 48 years old and just had been doing the same thing for some time. I joke, I say I couldn't afford a red sports car. My wife and I loved each other too much to leave each other, so that left only one option. <laughs> it's a little tongue-in-cheek, but I do think sometimes God puts discontentment in my life to move me in a different direction. And in this case, it moved me into the Louisiana State Senate. Um, fascinating story. Uh, so th- interesting way to respond to you know midlife crisis. So most of us to do something else, but you got into <laughs> politics. So, um, all right. So this August, you made a trip. To, decided to take a trip to the region, specifically to Guatemala and Mexico. What what prompted that? What what made you want to go? I think our country, our body politic, if you will, uh, does not pay enough attention to Latin America, and there's so many incredibly positive things about Mexico and Central America, for example. But typically what you read about are murders, gangs, and drugs. Uh, And yet, if you just look at the economic benefit to the United States from its relationship with that region, it's fantastic. My state, Louisiana, has a positive balance of trade with Mexico. Farmers, wherever they are, will tell you how important that market is. I could go on. So I wanted to learn. Uh, I'm also looking at trade-based money laundering. My person who does foreign affairs is an American of Guatemalan extraction, and so she's bicultural, if you will. And I just wanted to learn about a region so important to the U.S., but which I didn't feel like I knew enough of. Let's break it down a little bit. You you went first to Guatemala, and um, Guatemala, along with the other northern triangle countries, uh, you know, Honduras, um, uh, Nicaragua, are facing a lot of issues right now. And among them, you, you know, poor economies, uh, sort of sketchy governance and and corruption. What are what, if anything, are useful things that the United States can do 
to help those countries sort of uh, get out of that cycle of violence, corruption, bad governments. We have to first recognize the interrelationship of their problems and our problems. A lot of the corruption in Latin America is fueled by an incredible amount of drug money that is corrupting officials and money of which taxes are not being paid. And because taxes are not being paid, the central government is starved of resources with which they could build infrastructure. But if they successfully build that infrastructure, attracting foreign investment, then people who might otherwise immigrate to the United States will stay in their home country um, and relieve the pressure of illegal immigration. It is a ball of wax. So what can the United States do? One thing I've been looking at is the fact that drug cartels move anywhere from 60 to 100 billion, billion with a B, dollars of illicit drug trades from the U.S. to south of the border every year. 100 billion, as much as that, south of the border. We confiscate about 7 billion, so I'm told. It's actually 110 billion. We confiscate 7 billion, so they successfully move over 100 billion. My gosh, if we could interdict that, uh, by a variety of means, um, you would put a crimp in the financing of the drug trade. It's not supply, it's not demand, rather it's the financing, and that may be the most effective way to stop this. By the way, it would also relieve an incredible amount of pressure uh, to corrupt that is currently in Latin America. So you put your you mentioned earlier about uh, illegal Central American immigration in the United States. So we'll get back to that in a second. But let's talk about Mexico. Obviously, the big news in the bilateral relationship, or I guess the trilateral relationship, is the the sort of renewal of old NAFTA now, uh, you know, U.S. CMA. Um, how how does that um, trade deal, or, or more specifically, how does trade with Mexico affect, um, in your in your view, the country as a whole? and then Louisiana in particular? Uh, well, first, Louisiana has a balance of trade that is positive with Mexico. Uh, we ship lots of goods there, and there's potential for far more, not just for, the United, not just for Louisiana but for the entire United States, as Mexico opens up its energy markets. And so, so, so California, for example, has pipelines that run back and forth between California and Mexico. Uh, a good relationship there as well. So it's something that we wish to enhance the positive. What do we do about the negative? Well, part of the negative is that that trade, which is legitimate, has a small portion, relatively speaking, that is illegitimate that tags along with it. And that's how cartels are moving uh, tens of billions of dollars from the United States to Mexico. We had a briefing in Mexico. We were told that one of the provisions of the NAFTA deal will be to improve uh, what I call the manifest system. When goods move between the two countries or from a third country transiting, say, through Long Beach Harbor into Mexico, what can be done to help both countries improve their security as well as the integrity of, of what is being shipped? For example, one way that drugs, uh, that, that money can be laundered is duplicate invoicing. Uh, the same shipment has two, three, or four different invoices, so therefore money moves across the border for basically phantom goods. What can we do about that? I like the idea of an increasing integration of our manifest, our bill of goods systems to try and stop something such as that. 
Uh, now, I know when you're down there, you met with the officials of the current government, but also a couple of officials from the incoming Lopez Obrador government, and specifically talking about issues of, of security. And um, as you as you know, or I'm sure there you were briefed down there. You know, this is one of the untold success stories in the bilateral relationship is our development of very strong and warm ties between our military officials and between our uh, security uh, officials. Do do you see any indication from from what you have heard or talked to the folks down there that uh, in any way the new Mexican government will be less enthusiastic or less cooperative when it comes to things like? Uh, drug smuggling, uh, migrant going after you know the uh, the heroin fields, the precursor chemicals, et cetera. Uh, they may want to rethink parts of the relationship, but but th- let me back up a little bit and emphasize the premise of your question. One thing I learned is that because of NAFTA, the United States has gone from being kind of the boogeyman that successive presidents of of Mexico would blame for whatever problem that occurred into something that is recognized as a valuable economic partner, which is uh, basically attributed to a growing Mexican middle class. And there's all these positive things that have flown, that have, that have grown out of our uh, deepening economic uh, interrelatedness. Uh, among them would be a desire to cooperate. The Mexicans made it very clear they do not like this violence that is near the U.S.-Mexican border. They would like to stop it. Now, they may differ as to the best ways to get at it. But as you mentioned, Richard, there is cooperation between both our military as well as security organizations and intelligence organizations that uh, with shared information going back and forth to attempt to address the issue. That's an incredible positive, an incredible positive. We need the cooperation of both governments if we're going to do anything about this. Um, by the way, I think I already mentioned the new NAFTA, if you will, NAFTA 2.0, has that provision in which our Customs, Border, and Patrol will have increased integration so as to uh, better enhance even further the security relationship we have uh, be- be- between the two countries. Now, going forward, um, I-, I do think they are looking at a body count related to a drug war and trying to think of what they can do differently. I note, I think I remember a recent headline in which their incoming president, AMLO, as they like to call him, has said the military will still have a role in, in the security issue related to the drug gangs. So although he mentioned something like pulling the military out, frankly, they have so much corruption in their local police force, I think he's understood he cannot entirely do that. As regards the poppy trade, uh, again, there's a lot of effort at eradication of poppies. Uh, I think it's best to see how they end up handling that issue as opposed to uh, how they handle that issue as opposed to make a guess based upon conflicting statements. But one thing I'll point out, it's a lot easier to make fentanyl than it is to grow poppy to turn into heroin. And so what I would hope as we are coming to this better customs arrangement that we're able to track chemicals coming from China that are used to make fentanyl far more deadly, far easier and cheaper to produce, and easier to smuggle into the United States. Poppy, you can figure out where it's growing. Fentanyl is a harder thing. So I look forward to their cooperation in terms of this. By the way, their vested interest, these gangs fuel corruption in Mexico, uh, and so they have a vested interest in shutting these gangs down without a lot of innocent people being killed, 
but hopefully depriving these games of the, of the money, which they in turn use to corrupt public officials. Um, from all the officials I talked to, both current and you know those who have recently stepped down from previous administrations who are in sort of the, the security business, they remain pretty optimistic that um, Mexico will continue to work with us in terms of if we need tweaks to the overall strategy or the mechanisms, institutions to go forward to do exactly what you said. So it sounds like that's kind of what you you saw as well or heard during your meetings that. Um, Mexico is not going to turn this into sort of a political football where they're going to withhold cooperation on counter-narcotics fighting because, you know, they, they're upset with something that came out of the White House. Is that more or less your feeling? That is my feeling. But, but by the way, let's just speak about from the Mexican perspective, yeah. as much as I can speak of the Mexican perspective. Uh, but, but what I'm told is one of the first waves of immigration from northern Mexico to the United States happened when Pancho Villa was marauding through northern Mexico and John Pershing was going after him. And a lot of villagers got disrupted and they moved into the safety and security north of the Rio Grande. Um, So I ask, now we've got all these cartels up there and there's this big body count and yet people are not immigrating. Why not? Because clearly people can still come to our country illegally. And they say, well, NAFTA has been so good at generating jobs that people have decided to stay in Mexico near their job and their homeland, as opposed to immigrating. Another benefit of NAFTA. That tells you, a second, unrelated, but I was speaking to a guy, a real estate developer in Chicago, and um, I looked at his resume, if you will, and he develops a lot of things in Mexico City. So I said, you do a lot of neighborhood development in Mexico City. Oh, yes, fabulous place to work, one of my favorite places to go. All that to say, there is a rising middle class and working class in Mexico that has invested in Mexico, that has given, uh, and when, I'm, when I speak to Mexicans, they say that AMLO has to respect that, that that rising working and middle class has resulted because of NAFTA and because of security relationships between the two countries. And indeed, it is their, the middle class and working class, desire to purge of corruption that gave AMLO his over the 50% vote. So that anchors, if you will, the body politic of Mexico uh, near a somewhat moderate or centrist uh, economic policy, uh, which, again, is related to NAFTA, which is related to the United States. So you see these issues become interrelated and that the way out is by emphasizing the market-based solutions and the relatedness between our two countries. So as you as you noted about immigration, um, the the, compl- the the nature of immigration has changed, and you know if you look at CBP's numbers, you look back even just say less than twenty years ago, and and they were apprehending close to a million people on the border every year, and that number is now I think you know south of three hundred thousand, and probably about half of those are Central American. So when we're looking at the crises, the political crises that we've seen in the last couple of years, um, going back to twenty fourteen. It's really a Central American migration problem that we're really dealing with. Do you see any possibility that uh, in an effort for both of us, both of our countries, to solve a political problem and a humanitarian problem, that we start doing more with Mexico on their southern border, help them secure it, help them process uh, both illegal immigration, asylum claims, and so on, or or even a a third country, uh, Guatemala, for instance, is there any room there that you think policymakers um, from both the Mexico and the United States would come together and say, okay, we, you know, we, we both got to solve this because otherwise uh, we have a, a real problem and a political problem? Yeah, you got a lot wrapped into there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but AMLO has proposed having some sort of economic development 
in the Northern Triangle, the Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala countries, uh, south of the Mexican border. Uh, that, of course, would be a place for people to stop as opposed to coming all the way to the United States. And I think he's actually basing it conceptually upon that which I just described in the northern part of Mexico. If you can create some element of prosperity in those countries, it gives folks a reason to stay home. Now, Richard, let me take this conversation all the way back to where we started. Um, what is some of the issues with Central America? Uh, there's a lot of money flowing through of which taxes are not paid. Guatemala, as an example, has the lowest amount of its GDP uh, collected in taxes, I think, of any country in the hemisphere. And because of that, there's not money to invest in infrastructure. Therefore, business development is retarded. And therefore, you cannot create jobs so that people will have an opportunity to stay at home as opposed to immigrating. So, uh, so, and by the way, the money that's corrupting is coming from the drug trade, which is financing the death of many people in the United States from opioid overdose. So you got a big problem here. Now, there's, among the things we can do is try and address this trade-based money laundering. Legal trade with a tag-along of illegal trade in which dollars are moved from the U.S. Uh, to south of the border. Fun, uh, so so uh, what are some of the things we could do about that? Uh, well, if we advance that sort of secure system where if goods are shipping from the United States to Guatemala and the manifest is going to, co going to Panama and then back to Guatemala, that you somehow have the Guatemalan government aware of what that manifest is. Right now, you may have a manifest, say, for a million dollars worth of goods going to Panama, but it goes from Panama to Guatemala, and the manifest only says $500,000. Well, Guatemala just lost tariff or taxes on $500,000 worth of goods. I'm told this is a fairly common scenario. Don't know it for sure, but I'm told it could be. If you have a way to coordinate that, then Guatemala is truly getting um, the, 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 the taxes or tariffs on a million dollars worth of goods. If that cut of $500,000 is in any way related to trade-based money laundering, that has had a crimp put upon it. And ideally, that increased revenue for Guatemala means that there'll be a road built from the eastern part of the country to the western part of the country, and commerce is improved. So that's something I think the United States can firmly encourage to the mutual benefit of everybody in the equation uh, that is a good actor. Senator, one final question. You know, every administration, probably going back at least 30 years, gets criticized for not paying enough attention to Latin America, given its proximity and given the issues involved. Do, do you think the um, President Trump and his administration are doing enough? Is it, is it a high enough priority, the region, at a senior level? Um, if so, what should they be doing more of? And in terms of sort of the personnel and attention that they are devoting the region, is it sufficient given the stakes? I'm not sure that the issue is with the executive as it might be with the Congress and with the media. The media just basically focuses upon murders and drugs uh, and immigrants, illegal immigrants. Um, and, and when you go down there, you see there's so much incredible potential and so much that is already happening. Somebody once told me a measure of prosperity of the number of cranes in a city's a skyline. If that is a measure of prosperity, Mexico City is a pretty prosperous place. There are all kinds of cranes in that skyline. Uh, I think when I speak to administration officials, uh, we have our security, 
uh, both military and non-military security that are down there. Obviously, we've just completed working very hard to complete a NAFTA deal. We've got uh, the energy companies investing in my state of Louisiana and the farm groups also investing. Uh, so, uh, But I do think there needs to be a more holistic uh, understanding. Uh, frankly, I'd like um, every other part of our society to focus a little bit more to see what opportunities are there and to see what we can do for the mutual benefit. Um, I, I, I'm not at all going to blame the executive. I think the executive is probably pulling their weight. Uh, Senator Cassie, obviously you have a deep interest in the region. I suspect you'll be going back there more, yeah. than, more than once. Um, thank you very much for joining me on 35 West today and hope to have you back on the show. Thank you very much, Richard.